0: Welcome to the Foundation Podcast, your weekly insight into the most significant conservative ideas being discussed right now all across America. From policymakers to grassroots activists, and from thought leaders to elected leaders, each week we bring you the people and the ideas shaping the American Republic. Brought to you with a dose of Texas, where Lone Star Liberty shines brighter than ever. Well, folks, thanks again for joining the Foundation Podcast. This is Kevin Roberts, your host. We have yet another fantastic guest today, the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Christy Craddock. Thanks Thanks for, for being here. Thanks for having me. Now, people outside Texas and even a few in Texas might say, the Texas Railroad Commission, what in the world is that? And what I would say is it's really important. And so even for our listeners outside the state of Texas, I think they will enjoy hearing your explanation. Chairman.
1: so to me the railroad commission is the most important agency in texas period because it doesn't do railroads and i would say i bet your listeners outside of the state probably have a better idea than inside the state what we do but we do oil and gas for the state oil and gas regulation pipeline safety inspections coal mine regulations as well as gas utility rates. And people forget, but we do have uranium in the state. So if you have exploration for uranium, you come to us and get a permit for that. And and so we are the most important industry regulator in the entire state, where 30% of the state's economy is oil and gas related.
0: Sure, and you are one of the few statewide elected officials in this gigantic place we call Texas.
1: That's right. I'm one of eight, actually, that's non that's in the executive branch. So it is a fun place to be. There, I'm in year five, and hopefully we'll be reelected in November for another six-year term. We get six years, and so there's a lot going on. We've, I've seen as high as $100 oil, as low as $27 a barrel for oil, and we're hovering at 65 which is a good spot, I think, for the state.
0: Sure, and we'll come back to that question of oil because I think that our listeners, whether they're they're in Texas or outside Texas, are interested. We ought to be because it's such an important part of the economy and our daily lives. Come back to that in a minute, but just sort of set the table for our conversation today. As you just said, you've been on the commission since 2012. That's right. Correct. You're one of three chairman of the commission. That's right. And in addition to that, you are known here inside Texas, and I'm sure in, in circles outside Texas and I'm not being patronizing here. One of the rising stars in the conservative movement, and one of the things we like to emphasize here on the podcast isn't just the policy, which is really important, and we'll talk about some of the policy today, but really the foundational principles that we use to make sound decisions. And we'll we'll ask you later in the in the episode about some examples you might offer us, but. We also here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation know you to be, as we try to be, a cheerful warrior, someone who is a, a true believer. You're also a woman of great faith and from a family known in Texas for their great faith. We we share that Catholic faith, as a lot of listeners do. And at the end of the podcast, I might want to tease out from you not just philosophy and pragmatic policy, but how faith informs your your work, because a lot of our listeners are really interested in that. And I think in the 21st century, As we seem to have a civil society that can be something other than civil, that leaders like you are really important for our listeners to hear from. Because we hear from a lot of our listeners, we hear from a lot of people who support the Texas Public Policy Foundation's work, that what they like about what we're saying is that we're always optimistic. And it's hard to live in Texas and not be optimistic. So we're gonna have a really good time today.
1: It's gonna be you know, Texas is a good place to be optimistic about, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity and if government gets out of the way is always my philosophy, or at least works with you in a partnership.
0: Indeed. So on that point about government getting out of the way, in reference to the Railroad Commission, what have been in your tenure The two or three big issues, whether they're controversial or they might have been easy to resolve, but still a big issue, just to give our listeners a sense of kind of what I call the sidewalk level. Every day you walk into the office and what are you dealing with?
1: So, you know, we are regulating oil and gas. This is a dynamic industry when you look at it. And we are building a lot of pipes in this state. Those are the two things we're known for. And and, and we are doing coal mines in the state. How about the three big things we're known for in the state? We're the oldest regulatory body for oil and gas and energy in the entire world. So OPEC is founded because of us for those of you who look at OPEC, we are now part of the conversation again in Texas and the in the u s and so when you 're looking at things we 've done, one of the first things we did, we will like best practices for the industry. I think that's important you know part of our job is to prevent waste but also to protect the environment and I think as a conservative that's important too I don't think that the far left owns the environment I think if you live in Texas that's an important thing that we all ought to be doing and we do anyway and so we have looked at best practices for well integrity. That's important for us, we've looked at it. We're now doing, and started in this state, horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing. Technology, as our UT Longhorn world says, what starts in Texas changes the world. It started in Texas. It's literally true. It's true, and so it's important to have best practices in place because what we do, everybody else mimics at the end of the day. So we've redone our well integrity pipeline safety, I mean, safety casing stuff wells we've redone pipeline rules as far as how you come get a permit for us it has to do with property rights and and looking at those permits i think that's really important to make sure we're categorizing pipelines appropriately and then the other thing that we're really working on and i think it's the new part of the industry that continues to improve if you're in the oil and gas industry you're in the liquids industry quite mm-hmm. frankly and so we've got to do something with water and we have redone our recycling rules and we're all we're continuing to look so people have what i call the carrot not the stick approach to figure out how to recycle water or reuse water smarter so we're not just wasting a lot of water look i grew up in midland it's a desert out there when you look at it and, and that's where a lot of production's going on but industry has a lot of innovation, and we think we ought to put good rules in place where there's parameters and then get out of the way.
0: Sure. And I I know a lot of our listeners, regardless of how they would describe themselves politically or ideologically, might key in on one of the points you just made, and that is environmental stewardship. And I have found, consider myself as a conservative, someone who loves the environment, and especially here in Texas, where so many of us are outdoors people, it, it would be hard not to be Explain how, how you, as, as someone who I think describes herself as a conservative, looks at environmental stewardship and why it's really inappropriate. It's inaccurate for people to assume that it's just something that the left owns. In other words, it's something we as conservatives have supported.
1: Well, we do. I mean, you look at conservatives, in my opinion, we, we do protect the environment. Look, with this is an industry. I'm going to look at it from an industry perspective. It's the most regulated industry in the entire world, and a lot of that is safety. It's environmental practices. So here's a good example when you're talking about water because like I said, I grew up in West Texas, water's important, and we're in a growing state. We're at almost 28 million people. You can't effectively grow in a, as a state with population if you don't have good, clean water. So one of the things we've looked at for water, and the first thing you do when you come get a drilling permit at our agency, is you have to get a Groundwater Advisory Unit letter, which means that you're gonna go drill a well at, say, Site A. And we, you come in and you pay for this letter for us to do some research and make sure tell you we tell you where the freshwater zone is in that area, and you have to drill below that and case and put a lot of cement to make sure you're protecting the water. This is important to us. So, and we we're using a lot of water obviously in this industry to frack these wells, but overall in the state, the industry is using one percent. So, and they're trying to be, be smarter and they're now using more brackish water, for instance. Fresh water is not the norm in the industry. Now the standard is now brackish water. Industry's figuring that out. And I think they're doing it because it makes sense for them. It's a better way. Their people live in, in the same places we're all living to. And I think that just is is if you allow people to do the right thing and give them an opportunity, not over-regulate them and not tell them what to do, they figure it out and they end up doing the right thing. And I think that's where this industry is going on the environment.
0: You know, I'm glad you said that. In every policy area we work on here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, the underlying principle is that people will make good decisions almost all of the time. Now, we understand what human nature is like, and so... There is a role for government. There is a role for civil society. And yet, over the last 40 or 50 years, we have really both at the federal level, and it, this will surprise some people outside Texas, even at the state level in Texas, overregulated personal liberty. And I don't mean that in this knee-jerk libertarian kind of way. I mean that in a conservative way, that we're, we happily say that we're going to give up a couple of our rights, or a little bit of them, in order for civil society to be to enable us to flourish as humans. But we've really overcorrected in government, and you've given us some examples, especially regarding the environment. That leads me to say that we have a lot of technological advances in the industry, and I'm thinking particularly in the Permian Basin. And so, in spite of all of that regulation, in spite of government getting in the way over the last 40 or 50 years, Texas men and women have figured out some advances in the oil business that have led to human flourishing around the world. And in particular, I'm thinking about what we like to call here the, the Permian Basin Miracle. So especially for our listeners outside Texas, why don't you add some texture to what's going on in the Permian Basin, West Texas and New Mexico, and what the future is for that miracle?
1: Look, it is a miracle, and I grew up in Midland, and I will tell you, 30 years ago, we thought we were kind of going to just trickle along, and Midland might dry up, literally, or Odessa, because there was there was going to be some industry, but it wasn't going to be vibrant, and boy what a difference the last 10, 12 years make, and so when you go to the Permian Basin, there's no unemployment, basically. If you can find it, if you want a job, you can find it, and they're paying $100,000 for a truck driver. If anybody's interested, we, you know, call. We might can connect you some jobs out there, but it's a job creator. People see it's a good industry. They are having their own challenges all over the basin because we've got infrastructure challenges, right? You've got to be able to have takeaway. You've got roads. You've got a lot. Uh, my favorite is talking to people in Midland. They complain about the traffic. Now, look, we live in Austin, Dallas, Houston. You go into the big metroplex areas, and you laugh about that. But they didn't know this was coming, and that's good and bad. It causes a lot of challenges, but the plus is it's creating jobs. People are being able to do more with with one job than they did with two, so we're seeing people not need that second job in a family, meaning somebody can stay home. Um, We need to make sure we're educating these kids, and that continues to be a challenge when you've got high-growth school districts going on out there. But a job is important, and so an average salary in this industry is $120,000. Wouldn't you like to make $120,000? I would. For a welder, by the way, who's got one or two years' technical experience. I'm not talking about the petroleum engineers this is a job area job growth area that is growing and will continue to grow so we need an educated workforce that is a real challenge I think that's the biggest challenge we've got going forward the infrastructure industry always figures it out. It's in it's a supply ma- demand chain and look you you figure out where you can sell the natural gas or the oil or the liquids that are coming in and the pipelines get built they get stuff gets to market. It takes a little bit to catch up, but the biggest challenge we've got is an industry that hasn't been here for 25 years. We don't have a generation in it that's, that was educated and the last frankly eight years or nine years before the last year, people weren't looking at oil and gas, they were looking at green energy, which is important. It's an important piece of the Texas portfolio, but it's not the only kind of energy we need across the country. And the reality is this oil and gas isn't going away. It isn't going away in my lifetime, my kids' lifetime, my grandkids' lifetime across the world is an international commodity. And if you would like to figure out what you're going to do without your plastic cell phone and 96% of what you use every day is related to oil and gas one way or the other, then let me know.
0: Very well said. As you're aware, we have this national project here at the Policy Foundation that had been called Fueling Freedom. It was was aimed at at ending the Clean Power Plan, and we played some role in that. It's been rebranded as Life Powered to emphasize what you just said, which is that Oil and gas, fossil fuels are important to us in all aspects of our lives, not the least of which is just getting from from point A to point B. But what people don't think about is how petroleum products are in almost everything we use. And so we've recently issued a a video that our wonderful communications team put together, and it just shows a working mom going through her daily routine, getting up and and all the way through her workday, coming back home. Everything she touches has petroleum in it or is a petroleum-based product. When we show that, To groups of millennials, they are astounded and they realize, gosh, we've really been lied to about renewables being the magic bullet. There's nothing intrinsically evil about renewables. We, of course, have a big problem with subsidies, but nonetheless, the promise of fossil fuels for ending what we call energy poverty around the world is is really important. I say that just to connect the dots between the locale benefiting. In this case, the Permian Basin. You, you did a good job of explaining how that benefits people living there, and it creates opportunities. But it also benefits people all across the world, in Asia, in Africa, and both capitalism, so the access to capital, even if it's $500, and the access to reliable energy of any form, really is what has ended poverty for, we think, almost 1 billion people in the last 25 years. So much of that has started here in Texas, and you, you have a hand in helping to regulate that in a, in a very fair way. That leads me to this question, and that is about oil prices. We've seen them go up. It's summer vacation time. So the average American consumer might dislike oil prices, but those of us in Texas, of course, like for them to be maybe about where they are. And it's on that point that I want to, to, to sort of tease out from you why the current price of oil seems to be one that's stable, both for the producers, but also for consumers.
1: So I think when it has to do with international politics, quite frankly. So if anybody tells you that they know what the price of oil is going to be tomorrow, I'm going to tell you, I have a bridge, what is called Ocean Front Property in Arizona to sell them in that old song, because it's not, there's nobody knows and not even Saudi Arabia anymore. And I think that was proven about two years ago. Look, OPEC, realizes, and they still do have a heavy hand, as does Russia in some respects, in the price of the international commodity commodity of oil. But they also realize having it too low, it didn't drive Texas and the U.S. Pro- producers out of business, which is good for us. It means innovation's working, and we're doing it smarter in this country. And so they want a good spot for oil to be. I will say in Texas, we turned on the pumps a little bit more at about $50, but sixty-five is beneficial across the country. Now, it, where it hits your pocketbook, look, it is the price, and I drive a lot. I've got on the road about two to three days a week, So, I, and I'm the one that's driving, so it does hit my pocketbook but and it hits it's beginning to hit some consumer prices too because that has to do with transportation but when you look at the overall economy and here's what I remind people the great recession we came out of not too too long ago the only job creator in the entire great recession was the energy industry created 2 million jobs and so it and we've lost some by the way because we've had a downturn and we're moving back but the innovation is important it continues we continue to see Innovation, where um, where companies are n- can now make money at a less price they're also when you talk about the environment back to that for a second they're now drilling one pad site instead of four in a lot of places so we um, look the price oil is important but it's not the only thing and a lot of it is getting it to market making sure our ports are available and we can get big ships in so for texas we've got to do some dredging projects and do some other things um, getting pipelines built so there are a lot of different moving parts in the price of oil it's not just one thing
0: Sure, that's an excellent explanation. And a couple of times you have mentioned the issue of needing to build more pipelines. And a lot of our listeners are avid readers of the Wall Street Journal. And they probably read an article a few weeks ago, which just occurred to me about the need to build more pipelines. Given your expertise, why why don't you sort of put on your hat as teacher and teach those of us who are just lay people why building more pipelines is important?
1: So, pipelines are important. And so, let me back up. For Texas, we're the sixth, we have more pipelines by a sixth than any other state in the entire country. We have about 450,000 miles of pipe in the state that's interstate intrastate, and gathering lines. It's a lot of pipe in that. I'm going to put aside our gas utilities. I didn't even put those numbers in the mix, right? So those are the pipelines that we regulate for safety reasons, and that's an an important part. We have inspectors all over the state to make sure that we're doing things safely. Um, But pipelines are important for us long term. It is a lot of times cheaper. It's less traffic on your highways, so it means you don't have big trucks driving. Um, It is you can't really effectively get dry natural gas or natural gas to market because it's a safety issue. A lot of times now we're using rail and rails, an important factor for us too. So, but pipelines are part of the bottleneck for us. And there have been some, some, a lot of challenges. I'm going to, I'm going to, unfortunately bring up for them Keystone pipeline right sure. in Texas we permit it in 2008 it's been active from Cushing meaning Oklahoma down to our coastline moving product for almost four oh, just about four years and we thought it was an important pipeline to permit it's still finally getting unstuck and so with this new administration You people talk about going across our borders, by the way. We have a border, a big border with Mexico. It's a big part of our market, and it's a nice place to sell natural gas to, since we have so much in this country. They want our natural gas. In fact, they need natural gas certainty for their economy to grow, too, and get off of coal and other things. And so we have built in this state, we now have nine natural gas pipelines that go across our southern border, just in Texas, with some others planned. Why? Because we have certainty what the federal government's doing and they didn't get into politics in this administration and frankly in the last with our southern border like they did with Canada. So pipelines are important to move product. Um, And frankly, when you're looking at roads, we all drive no matter where you are and you get behind the big truck or you watch them tear it up. I'd rather have, frankly, pipelines going. Um, And there are some challenges to that, obviously, but pipelines generally in this state, we don't get into route permitting in Texas. And um, I think that's not a bad thing. It allows the landowner to negotiate fairly with the pipeline. And I think that's a good has been a good way it doesn't bottleneck things when you're trying to negotiate. You're not waiting for an agency to tell you what to do. And it allows those pipes to be built in 18 months to two years, a big, long pipeline from, say, Midland to, to the Port of Corpus Christi. It's
0: actually, an excellent the pipeline permitting is an excellent example of how philosophy, I'm thinking about private property rights, swerves into the pragmatic, and that in Texas, for the most part, there might be exceptions to this occasionally, we've gotten that figured out. The other thing that your explanation makes me think of is a host of conversations I've had with friends who are left of center about pipelines. And of course, they tend to think, and I'm not trying to be pejorative here, that oil and gas, of course, are bad, fossil fuels are bad, and therefore building pipelines would be bad. And I have tried to connect the dots for them that, in fact, I can make an argument that pipelines would be the best, the most efficient and effective way to deliver foreign aid by the United States to other countries. And obviously, Mexico is a good example because, again, access to capital and access to reliable energy, in the case of Mexico, natural gas does fuel literally and figuratively their economic growth. And, and when that is happening, people benefit. I think as conservatives, we often fail to put kind of that human face on some of these esoteric policies, and that's where I want to go next. We, I think, talked about a lot of policies that our listeners find find interesting. So let's let's swerve into this common theme here on the podcast about human flourishing, about putting a, a human face on our on our policies. You have often described yourself as a pragmatic conservative. What does that mean?
1: You know, I think it clearly. I'm a conservative. I grew up in Midland. I think somebody beat me over the head if I wasn't a conservative out there anyway. That's why it's one of the great
0: places in the world. It
1: is, um, and I and I managed to get through UT Austin and still be a conservative. By the way, so the next two of us sitting uh, here, it, right? I mean, road. it's amazing, isn't it? Um, so, but I but I do think it's the values that I think family and business and private does better than than government. But government has its role, mm-hmm. and so. When you're looking at, for instance, how we regulated the commission, it's a little bit different than what I call my friends at the EPA. And they are becoming better, by the way. We've seen a big shift in in the EPA philosophy in the last 15, 16 months. But they are always looking for problems so then they can put their foot down. We are... We go out and inspect, and we want if we find a problem or somebody self reports. See government not getting in the middle, but industry being able to do something. If they self report and they, we go out and work with them and make sure that they clean up, say a spill, and not shut them down. We're going to inspect. We're going to enforce if you, and we may penalize you, um, but we want you to clean it up so the tax dollars are still coming in, the jobs are still on the ground and people are still have a job and we haven't just shut your business down and I think that's the difference in philosophy when you look at pragmatic conservative you get that you've got to have a government role for some for some piece of it but you don't as a conservative you think industry or the private world does a lot better than than the rest than government does I don't think government should have their foot involved in every single thing we do
0: in Texas but also be willing to talk about the the government at the federal level. What are some opportunities in specific policy areas, maybe outside your particular area of expertise that you think are ripe for putting the, the personal interests of individuals and the regulatory ability of the government in better balance? whether it be education, other, other areas? I was
1: going to say, education for me is a big piece of it. I have a, a six-year-old, and so education's really timely every time you look at what, what you're going to do. You want them educated well. Look, I look at, we. I don't think we put enough dollars into the classroom and into teachers. And we all say the lip service, but part of the reason we don't or can't is you have all these mandates that have come down from the federal government that then pass through the state governments that then go into the individual districts. And, and when you talk to um, an individual district, for them to be able to hit all those goals and whatever those testing goals, whatever that is, um, it takes a lot of paperwork, so hence they need all those people they think to manage it i don't I think that 's backwards to me you 've got a teacher or you put two teachers in a classroom if that 's what you need, and really focus on the kid because that 's what this is about and we 've missed that i think we've we 're doing it backwards we 've become top heavy instead of. Bottom up in some respect, and, and look—you need metrics. You need to know if something's working. And competition in education is pretty important. We have competition in everything else in the world, or a lot of pla- lot of things in the country. And a little competition, whether it's a charter school, whether it's homeschooling, or or you know whatever we're doing for some competition, that helps the. Or whether you just are allowed to move between a low-performing school to a better-performing school in the same school district, a little bit of competition brings everybody up. I feel like we've – I wouldn't say we've dumbed everybody down. We've got a lot of smart kids. But we think everybody should be equal, and they aren't. And so you've got to figure out how to teach a diverse group of kids. But if you're only teaching to the test, so to speak, you're missing the high-level kids. They get lost in the system because they aren't interested – and they get in trouble, or they just don't—they don't get accelerated—and you miss the low-performing kids because they need some extra help. So I think education is a, a place we need to figure out how to do things a lot differently.
0: I tell you, it's—it's it's, as an educator, I would agree with that. As—as as I think you know, it—I think it's education is perhaps the thorniest public policy issue for all Americans, but especially for those of us who are conservatives, because we we value the public education system. If we've read the founders, especially Jefferson, we know that there have to be these so-called mediating institutions that transmit our values from one generation to the next, public schools for most of our history have done that. I would say, however, they're probably not doing that as well right now. But to your point about funding, for every dollar in Texas and in the United States that goes to public education, now 50 cents on average goes to administrative costs. And in business, that just would not work. In oil business, that doesn't work. And so what I tell my my fellow educators, regardless of where they are on the ideological spectrum, is that it would seem to me that that's not a partisan issue. It's not a liberal or conservative issue. It's just common sense. Let's be sure that a vast majority of that dollar is being spent on the child. And I think if we can get to that in kind of your pragmatic conservative way, that we will begin to solve many of the problems in education. One of them, just to kind of connect the dots in this conversation, is the workforce development problem that we're seeing in the oil and gas business. But as I travel the country, that's a problem a lot of places in in a lot of industries because we have this mindset in the United States that everyone must go to college. And we subsidize that with a ridiculous federal student loan program that has made tuition more costly. And so, at the same time, we've seen graduation rates go down, both the high school and the college level. So all of this is connected. Someone could be listening and not even care so much about oil and gas, but it's a wonderful example of some of the opportunities we have in American society, as well as some of the challenges on the policy level, whether it's regulation of the industry or education itself. You might argue, however, based on a recent article in Texas Monthly, that being the lone woman statewide elected official in Texas. And you wouldn't mean any arrogance in this, just for people who've not met you, you're not that way. But you would you would suggest in your wonderful, classy Texas way that as a woman, you might make more balanced decisions than those of us who are guys. And I, I understand that, having been happily married to a wonderful woman for 21 years. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I think that women and men historically just look at things differently. Look, a woman most of the time is the one who's whether she's working or not, she's running the household. She's making the grocery decisions. And I, look, there are men who run their household, but I'm saying the majority in this country, women make the grocery decisions. They make a lot of the education decisions for the family. They make the healthcare decisions. In fact, I bet most men don't go to the doctor unless their wife or their-, their That would cons- be true, Chairman. Makes them go. And so, so they're running that part of the spectrum and they may be working too. And look, I'm I'm a single mom, and so I'm running the whole world in my world, and so I have that perspective, and I think it's important that women come at it and look at the world a little bit differently. Not bad or good. I'm not choosing one side or the other. I think they come at it differently, and so when you're looking at education, for instance, or healthcare, you look at, and I do, I look at what the cost of something is. Not, men don't necessarily look at that, or they look at it differently because they're budgeting their home. Women are budgeting their household a lot of times, which is how we all ought to budget anyway. It's how government ought to budget. You ought to use what, in my world, you don't buy a car or don't buy anything unless you can afford it. And so I think that's the perspective that women bring to different conversations, whether it's education, health care, anything sitting that we deal with, I think they bring a different perspective. And I think that in Texas, we don't have a lot of Republican women running. So in the year of the woman, as the Democrats keep calling it, right, um, the year we don't have a lot running. And that's a real challenge when you're having some debates on say the house the texas house floor or in a government entity that you don't have some female perspective they just look at we just look at the world a little bit differently and i think that the different perspectives from all spectrums and by the way it doesn't matter you know race religion whatever you are i think being more diverse in the perspective is really important for us long term
0: and in Texas, thank you for that response. In Texas, I think among all of the states in the United States, we do such a noble job of, of real diversity it's beyond lip service. You know, Whether it's different ethnic backgrounds, whether it's men and women in service, although numbers are troubling in terms of numbers of, of women in the Texas House, for example. And it, it leads me to think that in your day job of regulating one of the most important industries in the world in what is the most important state in the country regarding that industry, if not the most important state, period, that you make this point in this Texas Monthly article that the relational focus of women – is something that gives them a, an advantage, perhaps, in seeing some nuance in some, in some regulatory affairs. And I would agree with that as a guy. And, and I think we've seen that in the industry. You, you also make this, I think, really eloquent statement, being myself a fan of former First Lady Barbara Bush. And you say, the recent passing of our former First Lady Barbara Bush was felt deeply by those of us who are Republican women operating in the public sphere, because we have so few female Republican role models in the public eye. And then you ask, why does this matter? Why should every Texan, and I'll just add for the purposes of our podcast, why should every American be concerned about gender politics?
1: Well, I think, look, you we all look for role models, right? And if my role model for a long time was Margaret Thatcher, because who else was there when I was growing up, generally, across the country? And then Barbara Bush became the role model, I will tell you, my grandmother and probably my mother think Barbara Bush is one of the best first ladies we had because what she talked about, she talked about reading. And if you can read, that equalizes everything, right? And that's what she saw. And she was, look, the power lady behind the man. Um, and, and I so I think she became a role model for a, another generation. And when I look around, I look around and say, where's the next generation of role models? And I, and I, I guess I'm it because there aren't, there aren't that many people in front of me as far as a woman. And there aren't that many people. There's nobody, very few people behind me. And so part of what we're trying to do out of my office, just because I think it's important and I've been mentored. A lot of people, if they'll sit down in a, and I think part of the challenge, I've had a conversation this week with somebody the no no disparity to millennials but they don't know what it's like to be to be mentored and they're looking they're looking for a voice they're looking to figure out what that conservative voice is because it not Hillary Clinton in my opinion and it's not Wendy Davis if you're Texas specific it's somebody and who is that Mm -hmm. so is it a Nikki Haley I mean she's out there with a great conservative voice but you've got to mentor the next generation and so and I think that and that's men or women but but women need somebody to look to because men will I, I we found as we're trying to get women to run for office men will just say they're going to do it women need to be asked and coached a little bit more and i think that's a real opportunity across this this state and this country because we have a different perspective
0: yeah what very well said related question is and, and this would be for for an elected official of any faith what what role does your faith play in your elected job
1: It's an interesting question. We have that conversation in my family because we are Catholic. um, And I think that it's important, obviously, because that means for me we're pro-life, we're pro-family. Those are the values that I grew up with as far as in my religious life. And so I take that going for and I'll agree with everything in the Catholic Church if you agree with everything in your religion let me know because I think that'd be unusual but I think those values are my values and so part of that is public service yeah. and I think that's where you get your volunteering and that's what you're doing in public life right you are you're taking time away from your job where you could be making additional dollars or spending additional time I mean look I get paid for what I'm doing but it's not it is a service too and i think those are values that you learn at home and mm-hmm. um, we don't always teach that in the schools or wherever you've got to learn to be part of that part of the conversation and if you're going to complain you better step up and do something but but that's where i think religion and and the bottom line is this we're only here for a short time you try to make a you try to make a difference where you can And for me, I'm teaching my daughter now how God should be the first thing you think about when you go wake up, and the first thing you think about, last thing you think about when you go to sleep, and a lot of times in between. And and I think that if you've got that peace and believe that hopefully you're doing the right thing and trying to serve people, that that's important long term.
0: Yeah, I tell you, there are probably a million reasons that it's great to live in Texas. One of them is just the profound shared value that we all have, and we are a very diverse population, one of the most diverse populations in the world. That's not hyperbole, including in faith. And I think people understand that, even as of course here at the Policy Foundation, every semester we have a lot of interns. And of course most of them fall in the, the millennial age group. And as you know, a disproportionate percentage of them of of millennials are people who don't really find organized religion, as they say it, to be all that helpful. And the conversation that I get in with them from a mentoring standpoint is, if you go back to the late 1700s, our founders had this concept of something called the civil religion, which wasn't meant to be more important than God, wasn't meant to be more important than whatever denominational faith people practice. What it meant was that we're going to look past our differences and we're gonna put our hands on a touchstone which is American civil society, and we're going to work together. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we aren't going to disagree, sometimes vociferously, over public policy. But when that is done, we are going to build our communities and our society together. And if I lament anything about modern America, it's that we are losing, I will not say past tense we've lost because I'm an optimist, we are losing our ability and our art of, of doing so. In Texas, however, I think that that's a little bit different. I'm a lot more optimistic about the future of Texas civil society than I might be about America as a whole.
1: I hope so. I, I do think we've trended the wrong way in the last several years, and I hope we're getting back to whatever equal is because that's how Texas—somebody asked me not too long ago what was it like when Democrats had your seat because Democrats today at the Railroad Commission would be probably a lot of them that are speaking loudly— would be anti-oil and gas right that's the perception we have i don't think that's fair in texas but i think that's the perception but that wasn't where we were 20 years ago when when democrats had this they built this up but i'm not sure that democrats and I, and republicans today and conservatives have changed the, as have the more liberal spectrum. But I think that we still have in this state the opportunity to cross back and forth. And I go to the Capitol. I talk to people across the state. I go into the Valley. I go to Dallas, wherever it is. People want to know you're willing to help them, that it's not about you as an elected official. It's not. You're there to serve and that you are listening to them and trying to solve some problems. And it doesn't matter what party you are. They want you to help them. And I think that's where we've got some real opportunity across the state. And I think it doesn't matter what the issue is. We're willing to have those conversations across the state. I hope we don't lose that.
0: Thank you. So as we wrap up, a couple final questions. One of them is, what do you think the future of Texas and also America is?
1: You know, optimistic about Texas... Definitely from an economic standpoint. And I think we still are are the leader across the country. People are looking to Texas for how we are not just doing our state government or whatever government piece, but how we raise our families, what we're doing with our values. And so goes Texas, so goes the rest of the country. So I think we're the bellwether sitting here in the middle of the state in the country not the east coast or the west coast and are kind of and are the leader and i think that we will continue to be if we're smart about regulation business policy family policies i think those continue to be really important so um, so i think we're we've i'm optimistic about where texas is going i think we've always got challenges but i think there's a lot of people want to work together
0: sure and last question is one that I ask a lot of guests and are really interested in hearing what, what you have to say, and that is a question of advice because you're someone who's known to have the gift of counsel. You are a good mentor. And let's imagine that we have sitting in this room with us right now an 18-year-old young man, 18-year-old young lady graduating from high school, and they are right-minded in their values and all of that. But like a lot of people, their ages and, and even older, they're, they're disaffected. They're, they're, which leads to apathy, which leads to just a few people making the decision, which is precisely why they're disaffected, right? So as an elected official, woman of faith, a pragmatic conservative, what advice would you give them for life in general, but also for participating in civil society?
1: Well first let's say get off your phone.
0: Amen. <laughs> <laughs> because I
1: think that's part of our problem. Get off the social media and go have a conversation. Go find look at find somebody that you think that's within your sphere or not. And go ask, go just have, ask them to have coffee. Because I think most people, if they get a phone call at most, at any level, they'll find time to go have a conversation with you. Uh, and I and if you don't reach out and if you don't vote, by the way, you don't have the right to complain, I always tell people. So go register to vote. But go have conversations with people and see what, find your passion, whether that's going and volunteering at a food bank or going and volunteering with a church that you'd like to know something about, or going and volunteering for a campaign. Find something you might be passionate about, and spend more than ten minutes, and go see if you like it, and get involved with your community. There's something. I mean, you can do something in the community, any place you want to do, and people like volunteers.
0: Well, that's true. And if people, these hypothetical but probably also very real young men and young young women were speaking of are disaffected with national politics, we would encourage them to start locally. And I think that's, that's really important. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. And if you have some interests and somewhat educated, there's something that will, will tickle your fancy. Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission, thanks for being with us. You are a great Texan and a great American.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Thanks for listening to the Foundation Podcast, brought to you by the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Please don't forget to subscribe.